Good evening. We're on again. Welcome to another edition of the Houston Round Ball Review presents Folks Talking Sports. You already got a comment in there from Andre Castillo from a few hours ago with the uh, the peace symbol. I think Andre was part of uh, Saturday's Let's Talk Houston Rockets. And uh, thank you for that, for participating in the comments you had on last night's show. And don't be a stranger to this show. Welcome. I am Chris Gardner, owner of the Houston Round Ball Review, local name, Global Perspective since 1994. Joining me right now are the two youngsters of the the current foursome, but you only see three of us on the screen. Andy Andes, how are you, sir? I'm doing good, Chris. How are you? Andy's from where are you from, sir? Uh, Houston, H-Town. H-Town, H-Town and, and you work, <laughs> who do you work for? Who, who employs you? What other stuff do you do, sir? Uh, so I'm employed by the Community Impact newspaper, and I cover the beats, uh, the city of Prairie Lines. I cover Prairie Lines City Council, Prairie Lines ISD, and on the side, um, I also do Podsama Jamma, the podcast covering UH Athletics. Um, like we were talking a little bit off air, it's a little bit of the dog days of summer, but we're pushing. We're we're um, chugging along. So that's the September three deadline of when the football season officially kicks off for the Cougs. And last but not least. I guess you are the youngster, the youngest of the group. James Mueller, how are you, sir, from Daily Cougar? I'm doing well. How about you? Doing pretty well. Uh, have you released yet the, the big uh, U8's welcome to, what is it, the fall? Enlighten me again on that, James Mueller. What do you, what do you got big plans from, from the Cougar? So it's like our, it's called the first roar. It's this magazine that goes out to all the freshmen. It's like 36 pages. Uh, my article um, from it actually went out yesterday um, about preparations for the Big 12. Um, and the actual publication comes out like late July or early August. I don't know the exact date on that. But um, basically a lot of my stuff on that is like just looking forward to the big 12 and what to expect. So I just released a story on just sort of the preparations that the university has made in terms of athletics that includes, you know, Houston rise, other projects, things like that. And we'll get into it that right now, you can watch the show, this episode of folks talking sports on our Twitter account at folks talk sports, as well as on the Houston round bar review YouTube channel. And it'd be part of the folks talking sports specific playlist that we have on that channel, as well as the Less Rage Cougs playlist on there, also on the Houston Round Ball Review YouTube channel. Less Rage Cougs is the unofficial post-game show for Houston Cougars Athletics. That will, I guess you can say, season two? Season two, we're running it back, and we're working on commercials, um, which... Uh, it's the first time I tried commercials, so they might might be able to tell. But uh, so far, so good, um, and we're working on it. Be sure to to keep an eye out for those as we sprinkle them out. Like I said, from now until September third, uh, when the first official football game is, and they're going to be kicking off in San Antonio at UTSA. Actually, two thirty p.m. kickoff, so probably going to. I guess season two will start around six p.m. Give or take. So excited yeah, for that. We have yeah. we have the. Um, we kind of have the the starting line in in the horizon now, so we're just chugging along. And we have a primary sponsor for that for the first five games so far for a for football season, and then the first five games of men's basketball season. We also have a primary sponsor. We got plenty of other and games of and opportunities for more. For, for more primary sponsors, <laughs> secondary sponsors, and secondary sponsors and 
tertiary sponsors. So, yes, big plans for this coming season. But, James, you touched on it uh, a few days ago. We had, uh, was it Wednesday and Thursday? Big 12 football media day. Mm-hmm. Commissioner, uh, new Big 12 commissioner, he'll start officially August 1st. Brett Yormark was in attendance. He had his intro press conference. And one of the things he said in uh, most of his media availabilities, Wednesday, Thursday, nationally, all over the place, the Big 12 is open for business. James, what, what was your initial thought when you heard that those words from Commissioner, soon-to-be Commissioner Brett Yormark? I mean, it's what you want to it's what you want to expect um, from a new commissioner coming in. Cause like he, he's coming in at a time where, you know, college sports is changing like we've never seen before. And so um, just you want, you want to see someone who's, you know, open to a bunch of ideas. Obviously he comes from a background that, you know, a, a, a high media level background. So he, he, he's good at negotiating those type of things. So I think, I mean, that, I mean, Hopefully what he's saying is true, but that's what you want to hear because like, like we've all been saying the big 12, you know, we think they're fine right now, but who knows in a couple of years and they got to take steps if they don't want to ultimately be, you know, dissolved. And if like two meg in two mega conferences form or something like that. Andy, what, what, were, you, what were your initial thoughts when you heard your Mark say the big 12 was open for business? No, like James said, that's exactly what you want to hear from the new commissioner and like, uh, James mentioned a lot of his background expertise, a lot of the noise that was made when his hire was first announced uh, that he was going to become the new Big 12 commissioner. Uh, I can't remember if it was The Athletic or one one of various articles from the outlet um, from anonymous athletic directors or sources just across the Big 12, um, you know, landscape schools that were a part of the Big 12. Some of them were a little bit, you know, kind of wait and see. They didn't know. Um, how exactly to react to the news that the your mark was going to be the new commissioner. I think uh, one of them, this, this is why I'm kind of frustrated. I can't remember which one it was, but I don't know one of them said, hey, at least now they're going to be able to put some pretty good concerts, I guess, um, whenever the initial decision was came out. But I think now that you're kind of seeing him get thrown into the fire and really have to essentially go up and, and have to be the face of the Big 12 after UCLA and USC kind of threw everything for a loop once again when they announced they were joining the Big 12, the Big 10. And really for the Big 12, we've talked about in the past, that's what you want to hear because you kind of see it as survival of the fittest between them and the Pac-12. Obviously, all the eyes turn to, to Oregon and um, on a lesser stage, a little bit at, uh, with Washington as well, but all eyes have gone to Oregon and what are they going to be doing? There was rumors that they wanted to join the Big Ten. The Big Ten said, no, we don't want you right now. Um, and then obviously, of course, when you look at it from the Big 12 landscape and all the rumors and even though that started after with Arizona schools, Utah, uh, you have to be, you know, reactive. you got to be, not reactive, proactive. you got to be trying to look for a lot of these schools and, and essentially make sure that you take any any schools that add value to the conference before another conference and the Pac-12 specifically, maybe take some of the schools that will take away from your strength as a whole. I'm going to toss this rumor out there, and it's a rumor, suggestion, whatever you want to call it, just to get discussion. Anybody watching us on YouTube and Twitter or Facebook, uh, please give your comments as well, because I'm not sure what I think about this initially. 
a merger, a merger between the Big 12 and not all of the Pac-12, let's just say eight of the remaining 10 Pac-12 schools, it becomes, I like somebody put on Twitter, I saw, you could call it the Big Pac Conference, mm -hmm. uh, Big Tupac Conference, whatever. Would a merger make sense to you guys? You could, you know, who was it? John Wilner. Um, I can't think of the young man's the man's name at, at the athletic. Not John Cassano with in in Portland, Oregon. John Wilner is Mister Pacto beat writer. But uh, I see his face, and I'll pull it up if I can. He had some suggestions about a merger as well with the Big Twelve and Pac Twelve, and he suggested like four division breakdowns within the, that new Big Pac conference with a Pacific division, Mountain Division, Central Division, where UH would be, and then the remaining five would be kind of an East Coast conference. But just, just your thoughts on, does that make sense financially for everybody involved? So would that be like a total of uh, 22 20, 20 teams. Not all, not all. 20. Ten, this give, not include uh, maybe Stanford and Oregon State. No, I don't know who think it was. Maybe it might have just been Oregon State and Washington State. You know, those two the the least uh, valued members remaining in the Pac-10. But yeah, not all not all ten. Just eight of the ten from the Pac-10 join with the Big Twelve for twenty. And currently, how much do four members of the Big Twelve make annually just off a uh, TV right deals? Forty-two million. Yeah, that was last year. Forty-two million. Yeah. So the Cougs would not get that to year three. Same <laughs> so, schools, forty-two. I'm trying to do the math, and I that might come off <laughs> way off. But if you would try to to at least stay, say, try to get each school to get paid out forty million, and that's saying we stick twenty, wouldn't that have to be? About an eight hundred million dollar deal for for everyone to be able to get that piece of the pie each each year. Yeah. Yep. Which uh, twenty school man, I don't I don't see I don't see an ESPN or Fox doing that, especially when you for twenty schools an oversaturation. I don't think enough of the schools add enough value to be able to justify that. Maybe you know, when you think of about twelve, I guess the thing that that um, sticks out is being able to play. Uh, you know, those West Coast time slots. So you have, you know, games going on on the East Coast at midnight. And obviously, of course, on the West Coast, that's the prime time slot for them. But I think that's 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 being a very, very optimist. If you think you can get 20 teams and have them get paid out $40 million annually. And if they can't get that mark, which even then it's still $40 million, it's just a little bit under what they're currently making right now. I don't think it justifies, certainly not for the, from the Big 12 perspective, uh, it doesn't justify doing the merger with, say, you guys. James, what do you say? Yeah, that was my first thought. Um, personally, I think the teams, let's say it's 2025 and it's the 14, um, nothing's been added. I don't think those teams would mind a few schools at, you know, adding in the Seattle market with it, Washington or Oregon, something like that, and Arizona, um, get that market. But other than that, you, you, more than that, you're cut, you're, you're, you're losing money. I don't, I don't think if you take most of the remainder of the Pac-12 teams, not all of those are going to bring in a ton of money. And so I think they would be fighting to, you know, say, let's keep this at 
18 or whatever, what, wherever where it's not going to be a huge cut. Um, so, yeah, I think I would be surprised, honestly. And, and just personally, I'm not a fan of that big of a conference. Um, just you sort of lose the conference feel. Um, even 16, 18 is a little big. But uh, all the way up to 20, I don't think it makes a ton of financial sense, especially for the current Big 12 teams. Fair enough. And, and we have to say it, if it's 40 million, that still is half, if not less than half, could be 40% of what the Big Ten schools and SEC schools project to get in their upcoming media rights deal. So why would you want to do that? Get 40% on the dollar that the, the Power Two conferences are going to get. So that's that is another bottom line reason I think that it won't happen. But some national writers are putting that out there as something that makes sense, but doesn't make sense financially to none of us. What if ESPN says, take it or leave it? This is what we're going to do. We want you guys to have. To merge. You want you want it to be a 20 team conference, but if you do a 20 team conference, it's only going to only going to pay you 40 million per school. What if what if ESPN does that? Well, if you're in Brett Yormark's position and the relationships you have within the, you know, media industry, I, I would I would say, you know, you go look for another route first. I don't think um, he's just going to accept a deal if ESPN puts up like an ultimatum like that. You, you sort of consider your options, see if you can get a different route where, you know, you get something with CBS, somehow get something with Fox, go to NBC, something where you're going to be making more because I don't think just with all his experience in the industry, he I don't think he's just going to, you know, let ESPN completely dictate. If it comes to it and it's the only way to keep the Big 12 alive, yeah, he'll take it. But I think he'll look for alternative options first. Andy? Yeah, I think James hit it on all the points. You know, at the end of the day, the only really – if they get kind of pigeonholed into that situation, the only real way out of it is if another network, another linear network um, might add that caveat there. CBS, uh, Fox is willing to pay more to the individual schools to be able to own – uh, their TV rights, and even if the deal is ultimately not as big as, say, a 20-team conference. Um, but at the end of the day, if that's what the market dictates, the BSPN is the only one that is willing to even come close to $40 million per school payout, uh, there's not really much that either the Pac-12 or the Big 12 could do if if they were kind of forced in that direction. Because And, and it's kind of a sign of times where a lot of these TV networks are at the end of the day, kind of dictating a little bit of what ends up happening. <laughs> not, e- not even a little bit when you look at Fox and uh, ESPN, what they're doing with the Big Ten and the SEC. But, man, that would that would really put the Big 12 in a tough spot. It would put the Pac-12 in a tough spot because, I mean, it's either that or, like James said, the conference will probably end up not existing. And could I add one thing? Sure. Just, like, from a TV perspective, like, looking at a big conference like that, obviously – there's going to be some games in the Big 12 where even if ESPN has the rights and you go to a 20, 20 plus team conference, like no one's going to watch. So where does it make sense from a TV perspective? Because, you know, if ESPN's putting on like 
say the remaining Pac-12 schools come in and it's like Cal, Arizona State, and football. Both those schools aren't very good in football, haven't been, um, at least recently. That you're not going to get a ton of viewership. Um, so I'm, I'm just kind of wondering, you know, how, how do you weigh that? Yeah, and to, to add on to James' point, can you imagine, uh, uh, say, the Big 12 and the Pac-12 merge and you have UCF having to play Cal on a midnight West Coast game? Like, who on the East Coast? Um, even, obviously, of course, a diehard UCF fans, but even then, like, that's stretching it. Yeah, and I'm, I'm trying to get the guy's name with uh, at the Athletic because his division suggestion, he had 20 teams in the, in the big, big conference, but you play your teams within your division first, um, and then you play the other teams, you know, at rotate. The other three divisions, you play them, like, every year. So you play one division one year. You would not have the travel issues except maybe once out of four years. So you would not be UCF having to go to Oregon every year, just be like once out of four years, something like that. <laughs> you, you know, he kind of had a rational, you know, plan for it. It made sense, but the money that didn't make sense t- to me. I guess one reason why I bring that up is because ESPN controls some of the Pac-12, you know, purse strings. So what if they want to keep the Pac-12 alive so they can have that Pacific time zone content? You know, what if the Pac-12 does not want, excuse me, ESPN does not want the Pac-12 to, to go away because they want the Pacific time zone. But do you need all the schools? Like, couldn't you just take a few? Well, hey. And you're, you're in the Pacific, but then you also, like, it's a way of minimizing, you know. It doesn't make sense for the Big 12 yeah. to do it. You know, financially, geographically, all, all those things. I'm, you know me. I'm more along the lines. We got folks chiming in in the comments coming up on via the YouTube channel. I would prefer the Big 12 poach from the Pac-12. <laughs> and if the Pac-12 goes away, the Pac-12 goes away. You know, this is business. Um, survival of the fittest. The Big 12 is going to need, you know, probably more than 40 million per member school. I mean, they got to get to at least, ideally, 75% of the Big Ten SEC payouts. They're not going to get dollar for dollar. They're not going to get 90%, 80%. If they can get to 75%, that, I think that'd be a win. Yeah. So, and what's the best way to do that? It sure as hell is not 20 teams. Yeah. But one one thing, and I hope, Commissioner Yormark is talking to CBS needs to be part of the future Big 12 for football. You know, heck, NBC, whatever. I mean, get as many networks to bid to help raise the price of your payout because you got to get this money somewhere. You know, and we're hearing all kinds of scenarios and and guys who I don't know directly tossing out stuff on Twitter and and they seem to have they discuss like every possible scenario. My sources say this. Y'all are just discussing your sources tell you everything under the sun. <laughs> you know, so can you focus on like one thing and what you think is going to happen rather than this A, B, C, 
go through the whole alphabet, well, this could happen. Well, damn, that doesn't tell us anything. So that's why I really don't retweet some of that stuff because it changes like every hour on the hour. Yeah. So we'll see. Uh, let's put this up, this comment here. Uh, <clears throat> well, that makes sense. If Pac-12 and Big 12 merge, Fox will pay more money to the Big 10 for Oregon and other Pac-12 school to leave the conference. Could that be? But, you know, word is the Big 10 does not want Oregon. The big, well, let's say this specifically, UCLA and USC don't want Oregon in, in the new Big Ten. They'd rather have Notre Dame and Stanford rather mm-hmm. than Oregon. Utah supposedly uh, thinks they're too good for the Big 12, you know, and don't want to be in the conference with BYU. All kinds of stuff going on. Um, some folks on the West Coast are saying or believing that the Pac-12 will announce something with ESPN on their upcoming Pac-12 football media day, which will be, at the, I think, at the end of July to kind of, to kind of quiet all the questions that will be coming toward US, USC and UCLA at football media day to try to have some good news and positive news for the Pac-12. So we shall see, you know, apparently that ESPN and the Pac-12, Pac-10 have reached some sort of agreement or maybe the Pac-12 just blinked and they're going to take what they can get from ESPN going forward. We'll, we'll see what, what happens. And then of course, Phil Knight, Mr. Nike. I probably should even say the name of the company because they're not spending time on, on Flow Talk Sports as a sponsor, but Phil Knight, maybe he wants to just throw money around. What if Phil Knight says to Brett Yormark, Commissioner Yormark, I will boost the member school payouts to get to that 75% that Chris Gardner suggested on both talking sports. Mm-hmm. So we can get close to the power two conferences. If you have Oregon and in the pack in the big 12, what if, what if Phil Knight says, yeah, I'll do that. I'll take care of the money for the next five years. So we'll have 75%, $75 million per school in the big 12. Well, first off, you, Chris, you need to get some royalty on that. <laughs> Agreed. We're going to talk about that. All three of us need to get something. We're going to discuss that coming up. So, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, if you're the Big 12, I mean, Phil Knight has a lot of power. And if he's willing to do that, of course you're going to take it. Because, like you said, you can't be sitting in this 40% range or what. you got to boost that up. And so if, if that's a way that you that, – that's an outside-of-the-box idea that could – I mean, I don't see it happening. But if he if he approaches you, yeah, you take it. Andy? No, absolutely. It's a no-brainer. And how, like you said, the possibility of that happened, I don't know how likely it is, but that's something I do want to throw out there. What if it's something along those lines, but then you, you kind of get, and I can't remember, I read this from, from another article, because right now the rumors are crazy, but say it's a makeshift uh, arrangement, for lack of a better word, where maybe Oregon, um, even not necessarily uh like three or a certain amount of Pac-12 schools but Oregon being kind of like the headliner and what if they say hey we would join the Big 12 but it's an arrangement at the Big 10 or uh yeah if the Big 10 comes calling you know obviously we're going to take we're going to take that first ship out to the Big 10 but until then you know we'd be committed to at the very least being able to to provide a short-term payout um do you think the Big 12 would be in favor of that if you're Brett Yarmark in the Oregon and the, uh, like three other Pac-12 schools, or at least one more, say that. Um, 
are you in favor of that, knowing that, heck, this is only going to be for a short term? And if the Big Ten or the SEC come calling, they're going to be heading out. But until then, it's going to be better for all the members involved. Do you do that? No, because, I mean, another thing to toss out there that some folks have suggested is basing revenue payouts on performance or the brand generated in the conference, you know, kind of tearing the, pay, tearing the payout. You know, for example, in the new conference, the Big 12, you know, whatever, the football champion, Baylor. Uh, how about that? Just do a payout based on what you produce athletically each year. You know, like you have the conference cup, you know, that way the, the number one team gets the most money and the last place team gets less. Ooh, I mean, the West that, that causes problems. That I mean, yeah. that kind of payout disparity happened in the Big 12 with the Longhorns and all their, you know, thinking that stuff don't stink. It hasn't helped a lot in the Mountain West because some folks are not happy with Boise State's arrangement. But Boise State says, well, we're the flagship of the uh, conference. So <clears throat> what, if what if Oregon says, well, we want – Let's say the Pac-10 survives, but the Pac-10 survives based on Oregon getting a dollar fifty per mm -hmm. dollar, and Oregon State gets seventy cents on the dollar. Do you think everybody in, in the Pac-10 would agree to that? No, in that scenario, I could see you know you mentioned Oregon State, but I can see a lot of these schools jumping ship because at the end of the day, you know why are you going to take well, like you said, seventy cents on a dollar is um, the Big 12 can guarantee a set amount or another conference can guarantee a set amount that isn't dictated by Oregon. That just causes a lot of friction. And I, I honestly, I don't see it happening unless if the total payout is greater than, than what they would be able to get anywhere else. So we'll see. It's just things to toss out there. Um, I think tomorrow will be day one of four for the SEC's football media day starting tomorrow in Atlanta. I think it's going to be Monday through Thursday. But let's talk about the field of 68. Said the, according to them, the best college backcourt in men's college basketball is in Houston for the upcoming season. Marcus Sasser and Jamal Shea. What, are you, what were y'all reaction when y'all saw that, heard that? told about it, whatever. I mean, I can start, I guess. I thought they'd be for top five for sure, but I think this goes to show just obviously we knew what Marcus Sasser can do, um, and it's, if he's healthy, then Houston truly does have one of the best backcourts in the country, but it just goes to show how much of a leap Jamal Shedd made last year and just how much attention he caught um, from the outside because coming into Houston wasn't a big name, you know, his freshman year, he played a little, not big time at all. And, um, you know, last year, I mean, people expected him to play more, but no one expected him to, you know, take the leap that he took, except probably those within the program. Um, so it just goes to show, like like I said, how much Jamal's grown. Um, and now we haven't seen him pl play a full season with Marcus, um, you know, where they're both playing significant minutes. So it will be very interesting. But um I certainly agree that they're they're up there as one of the best. I don't know if I'd call them the best, but certainly top five. Andy? 
No, yeah, absolutely. I think what it shows is really, um, and going back to it, it's just where Houston has been able to get to as a program where they're starting to get a lot of this uh, respect, not just from from followers of the University of Houston, but just across nationally, uh, the national landscape. I mean, to put them up ahead over UNC and Baylor, I know there was a lot of debate with uh, Caleb Love and RJ Davis, who they're coming back um, this coming season. And, and obviously, they're the blue blood pick, they would have been the ones that everyone would have thought, hey, these guys are probably going to be penciled in number one. But it, it just shows and this is something that we talked about earlier, and dude, I can't gotta stop doing these shameless plugs. But on Fox and I had a we were talking about, um, you know, where even in that athletic mock draft where it had three Houston Cougar players potentially getting selected yep. uh, in the upcoming 2023 draft, um, that just shows how much respect there is across the board for what Houston has built. I think it's a testament of that per se, more than are they actually the top five backcourt? Because at the end of the day, you are up there, they aren't there with a lot of competition. I think a lot of people are excited to see, like James said, what Jamal Shedd was able to prove. Um, he was essentially able to lead the Cougars into the Elite Eight as the main point guard. Now they get Marcus Sasser back, so the expectations are sky high, and it'll be interesting to see how they produce when they're, they're in a bit of unfamiliar territory being uh, favorites going into the season and not necessarily the underdog like they have been in years past. And and favored nationally. Yeah, Because exactly. the last couple of years, they've been picked to win or tie in the conference in the American. And, you know, Coach Sampson being <laughs> Coach Sampson, you know, he, he says, I'm not, I don't, you know, well, you can't vote for your own school. You know, I don't know why people picked us to finish first. We lost four mm-hmm. starters from last year's team. So I, I don't understand why they're picking us to do this, picking us to to win the conference championship. You know, the conference. You know, Memphis has more talent than than we do, and and on and on. You know, Coach Sampson says all of that, and each year we're just like, mm-hmm. yeah, Coach, we understand, Coach. We 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 hear what you're saying. We don't agree with what you're saying, but we hear what you're saying about it. But yes, the Cougs are now pre- predicted to be a top five team in the, the preseason polls. You know, we've, we already had the way too early looks. So, I mean, I, I don't who, who was. There was like even one person, national writer, predict them first mm-hmm. at one point. And that was before North Carolina had get the guys coming back. And, you know, I think the Zags have changed a little bit. Maybe the Cougs are now third instead of first. But that's how the narrative has changed for UH men's basketball. But we're going to get back to UH men's basketball. James touched on it a few minutes ago about us getting royalties. We kid, but we're going to talk about UH football and the UH football Twitter account. Hey. Because on last Sunday's show, we discussed, you know, certain, gave certain suggestions to UH football, UH football Twitter, their social media platform to be more active, be proactive about the talented players on the football team. Andy Yanez, care to share what they've done a little bit these past few days? Hey, uh, look at that. They've been more active on their Twitter account and not just happy birthday posts, but they started doing countdowns for the football season. Uh, They even got the official uh, UH University of Houston Twitter account to join in as well. They've 
commented on there was another pro football focus rankings where uh, it was a top five quarterback from the group of five and Clayton Toon was number two. And they uh, quote tweeted that put stuff out there. And really they've been, they've been a lot more active, even going back to, to players during their workouts. I'm, I'm looking, I'm literally scrolling down the Twitter account right now. And they, they shared a video of Derek Parrish, um, Geez, he completely cleaned out that deadlift. Um, but, yeah, they've been more active, long story short. James, what do you think about that? Did you have a say in that? Uh, I mean, they, they probably I, – I assume someone heard. But, I mean, going back – like, they even made a hype video for their kickers and punters. Like, they, the specialist, yeah. Got a UH specialist Twitter account. I like that too. Yep. Like, I think in this past week, over other than happy birthdays, they've posted more in this past week than they have in the past – three, four weeks, maybe even the last month. Maybe they, I don't know if they added staff, hired someone, uh, summer session changed things or, or, or what, whatever reason, good job. And keep doing it. Keep the countdown, tweets coming, keep promoting, telling about the talented players on the football team. What are you going to say, Andy? No, I'm just doing the math because like I said, from July, um, from essentially July 1 to July 10th, they had only tweeted five times out from the account this past week. I'm going through it right now. And they have tweeted out more than 10 times just in the past week. And from July 1 to July 10th, they had only tweeted out five times. So, uh, yeah, something changed. Um, we're not sure exactly what it was, but like you said, good job. They got to keep it up because, like we said, now September 3, it's, it's on the horizon. Now they really need to start building a buzz for the season. Here you go, James. Tony says, keep your foot on the neck, James. That's for you. See? Some admin, somebody, if, if, if people are watching, admin, administrators are watching, thank you very much. Uh, keep watching. Appreciate the support. We appreciate it. And there's another way y'all can support us, too. Um, financially, but we can talk about that off the air. And um, just we got plans for you know we got big plans to help y'all help us help y'all grow. And Big Twelve is is no joke. And we know Andy pointed out that a new job opening in sports information is has been posted for women's basketball. UH women's basketball is sports information person because the current person is now going to be i guess basically the second assistant or assistant for uh football that's what so her, her, her duties have changed so that's good they realize that football is important and needs more people involved all hands on deck for football get the content out there we all know this everybody watching on youtube and twitter facebook football is the cash cow mm -hmm. uh has to act as such, that football is the cash out, cash cow, and do a better job promoting the football program. The students, athletes, the performers, the guys who are working out, lifting weights, getting in shape to get ready for September 3rd. Mr. Yanez has said a few times on this today's show because he's going to remind you, and that game is going to be on CBS Sports Network, the game at UTSA. So, post game show, Les Reg Coogs, Andy Yanez, and, and would it be you, Dayon, and Aki? Who's going to be with you? Have you thought about that just yet, Andy? 
Uh, it, it'll probably be we'll we'll get the whole band together. Um, but we're still we're still far out ahead. We still have to work out a few uh, a few feelings. But yeah, we're gonna be we're gonna be hitting the ground running once uh, September three rolls around about six p.m. So like you said, um, and now I got the I got the official number as well. So from July tenth to July seventeenth that we're recording this, they tweeted out thirteen times within the past week. The UH football Twitter account. Not counting retweets, only their tweets of themselves. And then from July 1 to July 10th prior, which had been the first 10 days that we recorded last week, they had only tweeted out five times. So something something changed out there. and it, It's good to see it. It's, it is. And I extend, I think all of us extend an invitation to UH administration to be a guest on Folks Talking Sports. Reach a different audience. Join us talk answer a few questions from us and we'll kind of filter them out you know to not give you gotcha questions any disrespectful questions from the audience when that happens but yeah you are more than welcome to join us on folks talking sports as we get closer and closer to football season uh football kicks it off september 3rd saturday at utsa game will be on cbs sports network onward and upward see football talk see guys I'm not just basketball. See, I see audience. <laughs> I can do more than just talk basketball. See, I'm I'm okay. I, I hey I, I when I was these guys' age, I did all kinds of sports on radio when I was radio uh, you know guy in town. So all right, NBA. Anything you want to talk about? Summer league, Rockets, Kevin Durant contracts, or anything of that sort? Because we haven't had much news. Oh, before we get into that, Andy mentioned it about um, the athletic having three Cougs projected in a way too early NBA draft for 2023. The order of the three surprised all of us. And this is from Sam Bassini. I have not reached out to Sam yet about this. Um, we have to try to go through some back channels with other friends at the athletic to get Sam to respond and reply to my questions when I, when I do contact him. But he had freshman Terrence Arsenault, 26. Then he had Marcus Sasser, 27. And the biggest surprise, he had five star Jarris Walker at 33. I want to get you guys' thoughts on that. And then we'll see if anybody chimes in via Twitter or YouTube. I mean, I think we were all, obviously, Juris hasn't proven anything yet. He's still got to show out in college. But going in before he's done anything, he's been a consensus lottery pick for from most people. So to see him fall all the way to the second round was surprising. But I think what was even a bigger surprise was Terrence in that. I haven't seen him in a ton of mock drafts. Um, who knows? I think he'll get some minutes, but who knows how meaningful he'll be. We know how, you know, Kelvin does with freshmen. You know, you got to earn those minutes. You're not – you don't come in as the big guy and just get to play because, you know, you were a star in high school. And so um, he's got some guys to beat out. And so I was really surprised with him that high. Um, Marcus sitting right late first round sounds about right to me. Andy, what are your thoughts? Oh, yeah. Terrence Arsenal is the highest-rated drafted coup – um, come June 2023, that's going to be, he must have put together one hell of a season because just think of what, what James said, 
and the players he's going to have to not even necessarily beat out, but just be able to compete with to get minutes. Just look at the starting backward. They're set. We've mentioned Jamal Shedd and Marcus Sasser. Obviously, of course, Ramon Walker was a played a pivotal role in their rotation last year. Jamal Mark's going to be coming back. Uh, we haven't even mentioned Emmanuel Sharp that much, and it's just so crowded. Um, when it comes to the guards and the rotation, if you'd be if you'd be able to be the highest drafted coup, you you must have really put together a strong season, like James said. Um, in order to to crack the rotation for Houston, you not only have to be a a, a strong player and and really the, what the fans will gravitate to towards offense, but you got to be able to be a strong defender, playing defense, do the rotations, be a culture type of player that we saw Ramon Walker kind of do this past season, being able to draw charges draw charges and doing stuff like that, it impacts a game that might not necessarily show up on the stat sheet. And then when you look at Marcus Sasser, I, I agree with James, especially uh, what kind of his goals were getting into um, whenever he stayed in the draft and went through that whole process this season. You know, he said he was looking for a guaranteed first-round pick or he was going to be coming back, and he came back. So that's that's what he's going to be motivated to do. Now, when it comes to Jarvis Walker, 33 would obviously put him as uh, an early second round draft pick, which, um, like James said, with all the, the first five-star recruits since 2012, going back to Daniel House for Houston, um, what, Chris, what you said, uh, a lot of the noise from from the staff that have already been able to see Walker um, early during the, the summer workouts and summer practices, um, it would certainly be, it would be disappointing, in my opinion, if had he and if he ends up being a second-round pick, and it, it would be interesting to see if that happened. Um, and like you said, it, it'd be interesting to see what the Senny's reasoning behind that was. Yeah, and I, I can't speak for Sam, so I won't. But when I ran that by someone I trust, <laughs> the reaction was, who the hell is Sam Vecini? Because clearly he doesn't know what he's <laughs> yeah. talking about. He, he doesn't know basketball if he thinks Jess Walker is 33rd prospect in the 2023 draft. And I was just like, I'm just telling you what the man, what I saw. Okay, and he's like, hell no. <laughs> That's not happening. He's like, I'm just telling you know what he said. Okay. But in terms of way too early looks at 2023, Sam is the only mock draft that I've seen list Jairus in the second round. Mm -hmm. Everybody else has Jairus late lottery, 14, 15, 16, and middle of the first round, maybe 14 to 18. Nobody else has Jairus in the 20s let alone in the 30s. So I'm hoping to hear from Sam to just find out his thought process behind it and then flip it around. This person told me, same person told me, Terrence ain't ready yet for, for the NBA. He's not ready, especially not to be the first Cook draft in 23. He's not there yet. I'm like, okay, that's why I'm asking you because, you know, I trust you, so I'm reaching out to you. He said, hey, Terrence, not ready yet. I said, okay. We talked about this. Uh, who was it last week who asked us about it? I don't remember who asked us about projecting for our starting five. Guys, I think our starting five last week was wrong. Of course, it's July. So we have you know time to change. We could change it next week. We could change it in August, September. But our rationale was incorrect. Marcus Sasser, Jamal, starting backcourt. Jamal Mark at the three. We're going to call it a wing spot, whatever. Jairus at the four. And then because he's not yet healthy, 
100% following the surgeries. Not Reggie Chaney, but Juwan Roberts. So Juwan, Jarris, and Tremont in the front court with Marcus and Jamal in the back court. Thoughts on that? I still think Reggie will start when the season comes around just because one. Well, like, hey, keep in mind, this is July. He's not healthy. Yeah. Yet. So let's go, let's go with that. But yeah. I mean, I think Juwan will see a big minutes increase um, and he can bring a lot. My thing is I like him off the bench better just because of that energy boost um, that he brings. But even even if that is the starting five, that's not a bad starting five. Like you can't really complain about that. You got you still got a lot of experience, a lot of talent. Um, yeah. Andy? No, oh, yeah, absolutely. I think really um, kind of looking at the front court, I think Jawan Roberts, um, certainly he, he, at least looking back this past season in flashes, he made a great uh, spurt to be able to give himself, you know, kind of room to grow. And you could see that if he can be more of a consistent player because he does the little things that Houston looks for in a play, for in players. And when you look at who's going to be starting, at least the, the three that seem to be locked in, again, mentioned in this July, you have Jamal Shedd, Marcus Sasser, and Jarvis Walker, I'd imagine, at least from the beginning, looking at it from now, you'd expect most of your offense to be coming from uh, those three players. You're not necessarily going to need uh, Jawan Roberts and and whoever the fifth player. I know we've, Ooh, we've talked I about it could potentially be. Really? And why? I, well, I dis- well I I'll let you real, real quickly. What I was going to say is, um, at least when you look at it from the Jawan Roberts perspective, you could you need him to be able to play defense and rebound and be you know, an athletic game wrecker, in my opinion, and I could see him being in the front court. Now, when – go ahead, Chris. What, what do you want in terms of um, why you think they might need another score? The initial – the three, I think, would for scoring would be Marcus, Jarris, and Jamal Mark. Mm. And then, you know, Jamal lead the offense, play the defense. Jamal and Jawan be the defensive spark plugs. Jamal should be the spot-up three-point shooter. But Tremont could be a, the creator. Jarris is, is a good passer, too, Mr. Vicini. Just letting you know, he, he's a good passer, very good passer, more versatile. But I think your three main scorers out of the five, starting five, would be Marcus, Tremont, and Jarris. And then Jawan get the rebound, keep possession alive, have Jamal lead the offense. And then when Jamal goes to the bench, move Marcus over to the one to, show, to showcase NBA personnel that he can be a lead guard because that's they really want to see just kind of rest minutes split minutes there stagger their minutes and then if you sit both of them down then you have Tremont do the offense some as well so that's it but in terms of starting five give me your thoughts on that about the scoring the scoring three will be Marcus Tremont and Jarris I can see that absolutely and you make a great point especially when you kind of look at at just in terms of uh, you know, Kelvin Sampson always says it. I mean, you need they need their players to be uh, conference in their roles. And Tremont Mark, obviously, what you've been able to show uh, the past two seasons, last season included, excluded kind of with with the injury bugs that he had. But they use instant offense in a lot of instances where he comes in. He's not afraid to take his shot. Um, but what I was thinking, maybe, and this is where we kind of get into all this talk in July, but wouldn't. It'd be, I'd be curious to see, wouldn't it be more valuable to potentially have that come off the bench and be able to have him be instant offense when, uh, say, Marcus Sasser goes 
and rest or even if they need Jamal Shea, like you said, to, to take a rest and have Marcus Hassel be at the one and have uh, maybe a Ramon Walker or someone else be at the three that might not necessarily be instant offense just because of who you have in terms of Sasser and, and Walker. Your, your rationale is how all three of us thought last week. Mm-hmm. When I had my discussions, the rationale I got was reason why to have Tremont start. So we'll see. Mm-hmm. James, what do you think about Tremont as a, that starting wing player? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's how it will look come November when they tip off. Um, and I agree that with your three main scoring options, just because uh, Jamal is super selfless, he, he's willing to do whatever, and Tremont's a better shot creator on his own than Jamal. So I think Tremont will have, you know, get more opportunities. I wouldn't be surprised. Like, they're obviously going to have to stagger their guards a little bit, but, you know, have Tremont play the first three, four minutes, come get a quick breather, and then, you know, at the 12-minute mark, he comes in for Marcus or Jamal or something like that, you know, um, where, you know, he's starting, but then, you know, they bring in a Ramon or someone early, and then you have him to run your second unit. So we'll see. Yeah, the, vers- the versatility for this team will be apparent. Uh, you bring Ramon Walker off the bench with Emmanuel Sharp coming off the bench, and then Reggie Chaney, healthy Reggie Chaney, or Jawan Roberts, either way. That's a solid eight projected. We need to see what Emmanuel Sharp does. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a little ahead, ahead of guys like Terrence R. Snow because he was here, he's been here since December, really, uh, getting in shape, learning the system, traveling with the team on the, for road games and all that, so that he should be a little ahead for, for minutes and production. And then need something from JVA Francis if you need a taller shot-blocking presence. Um, Kieran Powell, it's time for him to produce if he's called upon. So if you do that, then that's a 10-man rotation. It, you know, still don't believe Malik Wilson's going to get the waiver to play this year. So just those 10 men, back to Andy's point, we didn't even name Terrence Arsenault. And yet, and yet Sam Bassini has Terrence Arsenault as the first Coug in his way to early look at the 2023 NBA draft. So that shows you how talented this coming Coug's team looks to be on paper. As Coach Sampson says, and I said to all of us in our times covering the Cougs, you don't play games on paper. <laughs> you know, you got to see what it looks like on the court and see what does, which combinations work the best. So we can talk about all this kind of stuff in July and have fans chime in on Twitter and YouTube. It's, it's just talk right now because it's July. We haven't seen what Emmanuel Sharp is, if he's improved this summer, if, if Ramon Walker's gotten better this summer, Ramon Walker was dealing with, you know, his hand injury most of the last season. So if he's better, if he's healthier. So, I mean, it's, the potential is there. <clears throat> Just got to see all the pieces there. And we're going to wind it down. Um, I want to just, I laugh about this, but Thursday, I tagged you guys in a tweet. Rockets guard Josh Christopher talking to Dennis Scott about the Rockets culture. (laughs) 
it looks like the Rockets are patterning, patterning themselves after Houston and adopting a hardworking culture. You guys' thoughts on that? Yeah, I'll, I'll go first. And like you said, I, I think it was uh, funny because if you if you take away the names, if, if you're just listening to the audio, it sounds like you know, exactly what a University of Houston men's basketball player is going to say throughout the course of the season. Uh, said culture about oh, who knows how many times. Um, and it, it sounds real familiar. But I think if you look at it from a Rockets perspective, you want to hear that, especially I can't remember – it got brought up right before the NBA draft where um, I believe it was a report said if you're a top NBA draft prospect, you don't want to go to Houston because apparently they have a bad culture or something like that. Yep. Obviously, of course, that's that's not what you want to hear, especially if you're um, leading that organization. So if you're Raphael Stone, if you're Steven Silas, absolutely, that's not what you want to hear. And that's certainly not what you're trying to build with such a young core where um, I believe they said in one of the broadcasts they have, five or six players that are 20 or 20 or 21 under the age of 21. Uh, it's, it, it's more than that. Now I think it's probably, yeah. close to, probably eight. <clears throat> so, um, you, you got to start somewhere, um, which finding that's, that's kind of quoting Samson too, but, um, yeah, it's good to see, like you said, it, it culture going to become the Houston buzzword. Um, apparently, especially you said Raphael Stone was kind of, uh, sounding a little bit similar whenever he had his TV interview as well on NBA TV. James, what what was your reaction? Yeah, I mean, my first thought was did Kelvin get on a Zoom call or something with the team <laughs> and you know give him his feel? Because, but um, yeah, like Andy said, it's what you want to hear. You look at some of the great NBA teams, the Spurs in their prime under Pop, the Warriors, what they're doing now. They've established you know this culture, and you don't when you have a bunch of young talent, you don't want to bring them all in and be like, okay, do what you do. You want everyone to be on the same page. You want them to buy into the little things. Um, and just the hardworking place because you can have all the talent you want, but um, unless you can get everyone to buy in and be on the same page, it's not going to work. So, I mean, it's positive to hear, but you got to actually see it play out just because Josh said that, you know, but let's see it. Let's see yeah. this. If we can see this, you know, throughout the season, um, see a change in this and see if this culture is really, you know, real or if it's just more than just words. Yeah, got to, they got to put it in action, and they've done a better job with, with the the younger players being in town, working out, uh, practicing together, working out together to try to establish a, a new culture with the Rockets. So it's a start. They had to start somewhere because what they were doing the last couple of years didn't work. So it's good to see it. It's good to hear it. Now we see it in July. Let's see what y'all do in August, September in October, because if if UH men's basketball lives up to the hype, okay, they still got to do it. Um, ESPN Joel Linardi projected them to as a number one seed. He 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 said basically in his latest bracketology, don't be surprised if the national champion is the Houston Cougars in 2023, which would be. Technically, the third straight year, a representative from the Big 12 will win the NAS championship because the Cougs will be the Big 12 member July 1st in 2023. So if they live to the hype, at some point come February or March, the Rockets could be an afterthought. <laughs> you know, if the Rockets aren't winning or they're not having, being entertaining or what, whatever, 
and the Cougars are going on a run and going toward a march toward the, t- the tournament. And the final four, of course, is in Houston. You guys know, D-Skills, you know, King, you know, if the Cougs men's basketball team is in the final four next year in Houston for that week to two weeks, the Rockets will be like, hey, remember us? We're, we're, we're here too. <laughs> so, you know, Rocket fans will be like, yeah, culture, but y'all are winning games. We're going to support the team that's winning basketball games right now, right now. So that could happen. But like I said, a lot has to happen. The hype is there. James, Andy, me, we're going to be involved in the hype and the coverage of UH men's basketball because the way things look could be a very exciting, successful season. I wonder, I'm pretty sure you will, uh, when the preseason rankings come out for the conference, will Coach Sampson say again, well, I don't know uh, why they picked us to win when the conference again. Well, I mean, what do you think his answer will be yeah. uh, with, the, with the prediction of Houston winning the conference? What do you think it'll, think it'll be, Andy? Well, they're losing four seniors off of last year's roster with Kyler Edwards, Fabian White. Tajay Moore and, and uh, that's a Kyler, Josh Carlton. Josh. Yeah, Josh <laughs> yeah. Carlton. Fourth. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's what he's going to say. Um, and I mean, what else? That's that that seems to be his go-to because he is losing um, four key contributors that they were part of that Elite Eight team last year. James. Yeah, he'll say two things. One, he always says, you know, I don't pay attention to rankings or oh, or anything be like that means nothing and then two he'll he'll hype up some other teams in the conference like he does with any like it doesn't matter if uh is playing memphis or our lady of the lake he's gonna point out you know they're really good they're blah 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 and you know point out make some other teams seem a little better than they are um and show that like you know it's not going to be an easy path tony thank you for for the kind words thank you for joining the show tune in the next sunday for our next folks talking sports and Coach Sampson's cliches is why I ask the question I ask during the Zoom calls about the opponent. You know, who, who are players to watch for the opponent? That's one of my go-to questions. So, hey, because you've got to get some love and attention for the, the opponent who they're playing. And then that gives Coach Sampson a chance to say all, all those things that he says. But do you think, Tillman, let's put it up there. Do you think the Cougs will play any games at Toyota Center? No, you think? Because I, I, well, I'm going to say no because Calvin Sampson wouldn't let that happen. Right, because he likes it's the home court advantage. At once that condensed arena with, you know, pack it in there. Yeah, Calvin likes the home court advantage that has been established at Fertitta Center. He, he doesn't want to do that. And going forward in the future, the Cougs could not play more than, I think, three games at um, Toyota Center if they wanted to have Toyota Center at the regional site for the men's tournament. So why, why mess that up? So keep that in mind because I think uh, the NCAA basketball committee will announce the final four bids for 27 to 31 this November. So that'll probably also include regional sites. So if Houston wants to have a regional site at Toyota Center. You don't want to mess that, that opportunity up. So just keep that in mind as well. But 
It's been fun as always. We didn't touch, touch on the fact that the American announced the pairings, the matrix set up for men's mm-hmm. and women's basketball. We can do that uh, next week. Nothing earth shattering. Women's basketball, we can talk about the Cougs going forward. We can talk about next week. Maybe they'll get some announcements as far as commitments because we did see you guys showed me that they got some, some offers to some players. So that's a start. See if they can get some commitments from some of the talented players in the city of Houston, state of Texas. So that's something to look forward to going uh, for next week's show. But James Mueller, see if I can get everything pulled up here. Uh, how can people find you, sir, on the interwebs? Yeah, you can check me out on Twitter at JDM2186. And then all my UH coverage is on the dailycougar.com. Andy Yanez? People can follow me on Twitter at they see, like they see in the ticker below at Ayanis underscore five on Twitter. And also be sure to check out the Clutch City Control Room YouTube account for our video. Uh oh. Wait until the end of the show for Andy to, to get a, a, a <laughs> my back. Am I, am hey, my now you're back. back. Yeah, try, say it again. Yeah, so I was going to say, you can follow me on Twitter at Ayanis underscore five. And also be sure to follow the Clutch City Control Room. YouTube account to see our video Pod Simon Jamma podcast as well as might as well um, just follow the Pod Simon Jamma account on Twitter and if you are audio only that's Spotify and Apple Podcast Pod Simon Jamma on those platforms wherever you get your podcast. Great job and I am Chris Gardner owner of the Houston Round Bar Review. You can catch me on Twitter at VHR Review. Folks Talking Sports Twitter account of course is Folks Talk Sports on Twitter, pull that up one more time. But if you want to hear and not see our handsome faces, you can catch the podcast version of Folks Talk Sports on Spotify, Apple, and iHeartRadio. Look for that to be uploaded, hopefully, roughly an hour after we're done here. So thank you, as always, for tuning in, watching us on YouTube at Houston Round Bar Review and Folk Talk Sports on Twitter. We'll see you next Sunday, guys. Yes? Yeah, sure. Should work. All right. And I think, uh, what was it, Andy? Um, the Americans, the date for the American Football Media Day is the July 28th, right? 28th, yeah. 28th, okay. So, Zoom. <laughs> James, did you get a vote? Did you get, were you asked to vote for the preseason uh, honors, predictions? Yeah. Okay, I did too, which surprised me because, <laughs> you know, I'm not in the football mode yet like I used to be. So I, I would not have been an informed voter this year. But thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Let me see if I can give a shout out to everybody who commented. King, D Skills, Tony, thank you very much for tuning in and your comments and questions. Spread the word about the Folks Talking Sports show on YouTube as well as on Twitter. Look for the unofficial post-game show of Let's Rage Cougs for Houston Cougars Athletics. Well, season two, first game, September 3rd, Saturday. More details about that going forward. Just keep tuned to this YouTube channel, our Twitter accounts. Thank you once again for, for tuning in. Until next time, take care.